Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk about races in Pathfinder. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what we do on this podcast? Well, you know, it's actually pretty simple. Uh, we like to talk about games, I guess. Uh, and I guess before we get into that, uh, we haven't done as many updates about our gaming history or whatever uh recently what have you what have you been playing i guess is the question well i I think first and foremost what what bears mention is uh is is hell's rebels gm'd by you that's true that Um, is in fact being played which which i made the tremendous wonder of not not recording anywhere so the first episode's lost either but uh rest well dear listeners for i have fixed it and we will be exporting the videos to YouTube from here on out. That is, uh, yeah. I mean, it's simultaneously good, but also like secretly sad. Like that that speech at the end of the uh, at the end of the session by Barzilai through it is like it's really important to me. Like that was a really big uh, something. And it was it was fantastically well done. Like it was it was perfect for the mood. <laughs> it was it was it was great. And you can't hear it ever, listeners. It's Sorry, true. I'm actually to be honest. This this. This is like the definition of me playing uh, dunge- like GMing games and Dungeons and Dragons. Even though I really like that speech, I thought I did a good job and everything like that. It wasn't like quite perfect, and that always bugs me. You know, like that kind of stuff always like gets under my skin a little bit. Um, mostly because I had only done it to that music a couple of times, and it was the right music, and I knew that's what I wanted to use, but it really brought the tone, uh, brought the tone like a little too far down. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm just in my own head about it. <clears throat> but it was a great session. We did a lot of RP. A lot of RP. Um, yeah, I have a feeling that fun. kind of thing is going to happen uh, commonly, so to speak. Uh, I was not expecting you guys to so thoroughly uh, kind of test the test the sandbox, but... um, I, I think we just had... When we have, like, a good group of people for it and a good group of characters for it, like uh, everybody, pretty much except for for maybe um, uh, Jimmy's character, the ranger, had like a thing that they realistically would have wanted to check up on after getting out of jail. Yeah. Um, whether it was an affinity to a noble house of some sort, or uh, you know, a a, a, a uh, what a halfling friend. Um, which yeah, Maragreg has uh, Irie the Irie the halfling. Yeah, I, and I th- I think you know the. The mandatory backstory stuff did a good job in kind of fleshing that out a little bit and, and you know, kind of piquing our interest in that way. So it was a good time. Um, and uh, I'm excited for more of that uh, Wednesday, right? Yes, uh, we will be doing more on Wednesday. I feel like what, I, what, this is what I expected to do um, last Wednesday, but we'll probably be covering most of the uh, kind of like the macro stuff regarding the rebellion and, and like setting out a, a, like a skeleton um, for uh, how you guys are going to want to progress through the first book. Uh, something that I think is kind of important to a certain extent in Hell's Rebels um, is keeping keeping a uh, you know like keeping like an underlying structure of goals uh, that kind of last throughout the book, so that things don't get uh, you know because it doesn't have the benefit of being linear in the same way that like Rise of the Rune Lords does, right? Where like each plot point is followed in sequence by another plot point, right? Um, in Hell's Rebels, you've got a lot of like branching missions and things that you could take on, kind of on uh, you know on your own time. 
And so I think having like an underlying structure there to keep everything, uh, you know, in line and and stopping it from going uh, uh, going haywire is important. Yeah, no, sounds about right. Um, yeah, it's it's definitely great. It's definitely uh, exciting. Um, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, on kind of the opposite end of that spectrum, um, I also ran a game of Paranoia this weekend. Um, uh, not not on the trailer or anything with some of my uh, my uh, locally geographically local <laughs> friends. Um, <coughs> And that game, man, is... I love that game. I love that game to death, um, which is funny because it is, it is the exact opposite of, you know, Sacred Covenant or Sacred Contract stuff that I go on about with D&D. Um, it is very explicitly, uh, you know, just do it. Uh, DM, wing it. DM, roll the dice, pretend to consult a chart, and do something else instead. Um, it's But th- that's kind of like the attitude of the game, and that, that's why I, I love going with it. Um, and for those of you at home who are not familiar, it's, it's about a, uh, a far-flung future where um, uh, a computer has essentially – everybody lives underground and it's all monitored by a computer who hates communists um, and is convinced that everyone's a traitor. Um, and in fact, most people are traitors by its definition, such things as uh, being a mutant or being a member of a secret society when in fact every character is a mutant or a member of a secret society. Um, it's It's actually pretty – pretty fun but uh one of the one of my, my favorite moment from the session this weekend is uh, uh so the characters have these things called mandatory bonus duties um and mandatory bonus duty is essentially something like squad leader or uh, equipment guy um and one of the roles is hygiene officer who's responsible for the hygiene of the team making sure everybody is up to uh up to standards and so um two of our team members get shot and the hygiene officer walks up to them and promptly finds them for being, not being up to hygiene standards for having blood on their uniforms. And just, <laughs> that's just like perfect. Like th- that's exactly what paranoia is. And it was, it was beautiful. Um, just another little tidbit to kind of like set the scene, like set the kind of idea for this game is like um, your character comes with six backups. Like you is expected that over the course of, of one uh, it's not really meant or, the, the classic style is not meant for, like, long campaigns, but for, like, one adventure, um, it's expected that you will go through about six copies of yourself. And, you know, the objective of Paranoia isn't necessarily to beat the mission. It is more so to be entertaining and have fun along the way. Oh. Uh, yeah, I like Paranoia a lot in the same way that I like, uh, you know, a lot of these kinds of... Uh... I feel like there's a lot of, like, TV shows like that right now. I would call them postmodern TV shows, but maybe that's just because, like, I have my pretentious glasses on. Um, and, and I think Paranoia very much, like, wants to exist in that line of thinking, which is what I think, uh, which is which is the appeal uh, to a certain extent. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. It's also a space for, um, especially people who, who play other RPGs regularly, to kind of do the opposite of what um, of, of what they would normally do in an RPG, right? Instead of cooperating, they get to shoot everybody. Um, and that's not only okay, it's encouraged, that kind of thing. I, I'm reminded of that. You, you know that skit from Rick and Morty where, uh, where he plays, like, Roy, 
the video game about the guy's life and yeah, Morty yeah. plays it and you know he has a ki- you know he has kids and he goes to college and then he gets cancer but he beats the cancer and then he goes back to work at the family carpet store or whatever and then uh, immediately afterwards you know Rick gets in the machine and he's and he burns his social security card and takes himself off the grid like <laughs> I, uh, I think that's that's uh, a little uh, a nice metaphor for kind of the interaction between paranoia and regular games yeah that, that's about right that's about right um, um what about yeah. you buddy what have you been up to this week yeah man I'm, i've been playing tons of xcom uh i played xcom uh on normal and uh i played xcom on normal and then uh but i was like saves coming really hard like really hard and eventually i kind of got to this point where um because I had put off the main story for so long and I had just not done any of it, I got to this point where I was uh, so overpowered compared to what the main story, which I was supposed to have been doing this entire time, uh, what the main st- story was asking me to do. Uh, that I, I was just like, you know, fuck it, I'm going to restart. So I restarted, and I was playing Iron Man on the easiest difficulty. Because I was like, alright, if I'm not going to be able to save Scum, I might as well just play on, like, the super easy difficulty. But, man, the super easy difficulty is so easy. It's, like, not even funny. So I was like, fuck it, I'll pop it up to normal, and we'll just try this again. And then I popped it up to normal, and I was doing pretty okay for a while. And then everything went wrong, and you just I just lost... Uh, so I've restarted Iron Man on normal, and I'm playing through that, uh, but I'm generally speaking making better, uh, you know, better calls, not getting fucked as much, which is nice. Yeah, um, I think maybe, uh, I, I felt this way about XCOM Enemy Unknown as well, is that Iron Man's really cool, and it's my preferred playstyle, in fact, um, but um, I feel like the game wasn't necessarily, like, the game wasn't built around Iron Man and so you feel something like permanently losing a very high level or a couple of very high level soldiers really hard. See, that's what that's what, this is what destroyed me on my first run. Um, I was I rushed and advanced combat center or whatever, uh, which a lot which like made my healing rate super fast. Uh, so I was constantly using these same couple of soldiers on these uh, on these missions or whatever. Um, but what snowballed out of control for me is I just, you know, I procced a group wrong. Um, they, you know, I, I got a couple unlucky flanks, a couple unlucky crits. You know, like I took some risks. They didn't pan out. Uh, and I lost two of those really high-level guys, and I didn't have anybody to replace them with, right? I just kind of had these rookies. Um, and uh, and so then I took another huge risk by going on a difficult mission with a bunch of rookies and my like last remaining unwounded because uh, I had like two remaining unwounded uh, soldiers uh, who are like high level or whatever, and they both died. I failed the mission. Uh, I the countdown to the Avatar project was just taken away, and uh, and I was just like, well, this is this is it, GG. So in my second run, what I did to change that was I didn't rush that uh, that uh, tactics center warfare center or whatever because. Um, 
Uh, you know, I, I figured I'm going to let my guys be wounded and the missions, you know, I'm going to more evenly spread out the experience among uh, among these rookies, among these squaddies and everything. And what I did rush was the guerrilla combat center so that I could get the increase in squad sizes. And that has, so far, uh, panned out pretty well. Uh, you, you and I remember when uh, when two of my, you know, two of my, my highest level... Um, one of my my highest level specialists and my highest level psychic operative both died, but you know it's not the biggest th- thing in the world because I've got backups. Um, yeah, um, actually, this is this is funny. I'm hitting the point where um, I just don't have a lot more soldiers because, like, in XCOM one, that wasn't nearly as much of a concern. Like, there was always kind of like rookies somewhere. Um, I don't actually know how to get rookies. How do I get, how do I get more rookies? Oh yeah. You recruit them. Uh, if you go to the armory, uh, there's like a little tab that's like recruit. They're 25 supplies a piece, which is really balls. Um, but, uh, I kind of lucked out in my run and I guess I got some, like I, I've had to, I had to buy a few rookies, but I wasn't, uh, uh, I wasn't shelling out too much cash for rookies, uh, in this run. The other thing, the other thing that was a huge luck out on my uh, on this run was um, the placement of my facilities was much better. Uh, the power relays, like those exposed Illyrium power cores, were in uh, really good spots, and I was able to build, uh, you know, like a really efficient workshop stuff like that, uh, which I, which just wasn't possible in the first run because of just like how everything was kind of uh, set up. Yeah, fair enough. Um, honestly, we should probably just do like a, I, I, I think I could make a whole thing out of XCOM. We should probably figure, figure something out. Along yeah. Those may, lines. May, maybe next week I'll, I'll make sure to put the hours in this week. Maybe if I'm not busy playing street fighter five, which comes yeah. out tonight. <laughs> recording. Um, but, uh, the only other, the only thing, other thing I have to mention is I played this little game called, uh, my name is Mayo. Which is uh, this indie game? It's very, very stupid, but it was sixty cents, so I was okay with it. That that, that kind of thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, it's it, it's it's literally a game that simulates the real life experience of clicking on a, or tapping a uh, a glass jar of mayonnaise, um, and you just you just click it a bunch, and uh, it unlocks achievements and. Those achievements tell a little story and dress up your mayo in different things like a mustache or a leopard bikini. So, uh, for 60 cents, I got about 30 minutes of enjoyment out of it. And I would, uh, and, uh, if, if you really want to stretch it out, like around 2000 clicks, I got bored. So I downloaded an auto clicker, um, and I just kind of, you know, experienced the story that way. Um, wow. Fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> sixty cents for thirty minutes though. That that's a pretty that's a pretty good deal. I guess uh, I guess that is uh, I guess that is true. Um, but anyway, this is going to be another one of our Pathfinder episodes, D and D episodes uh, in general. Though I do kind of want to think about it in terms of Pathfinder because that's what's been on my mind. Um, this is of course my topic, so I guess I'll introduce it. Um, I've been thinking a lot about races in Pathfinder because you know you guys were doing your, uh, you know, you guys were doing your backstories and stuff, um, and I had that uh, I had that rule 
where and this is a house rule because a lot of the times in our games just for the listeners out there we house rule that like you know all races get a bonus feat or you know something like lots of things kind of along those lines and what we house ruled for my game was um at level one you got an extra like optional racial trait or uh racial bonus feat that you qualify for um but it doesn't, like, you know, replace anything, right? So, uh, you know, uh, an orc could get sent. A half-orc could get sent, which I think replaces, uh, you know, something or whatever. But it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't get rid of his dark vision, for instance. Um, Keenson's actually a feat. Is yep. that what the, uh, is that what the, sen- this, the one for the senses is? Yeah, it's called, it's called Keenson. One, one, okay. one of my players in Wrath of the Righteous took it for fun. So, I, I know a little bit about it. Fair enough. Um, the so yeah so I don't know. It just got me thinking about kind of like what I, I feel like races are a very weird portion of Pathfinder. Uh, something that hasn't quite been as like fully realized and upgraded and expanded upon in the same way that classes have been. Um, even even though I really like alternate racial traits and they're kind of good. Design-wise, uh, I, I kind of get this feeling that, like, races are fundamentally almost uh, superfluous in, in to, to uh, the mechanics of the game, which really bugs me. I don't know. How, do, you, do you have that feel? Do you have any strong feelings about how races interact with, you know, the Pathfinder? Um, so, hmm. I, I get what you're feeling. And I get what you're saying, and, and that makes sense to me. Um, and uh, I guess my deepest thought is it's something that's always kind of bothered me is um, it's very hard to say make a like make something very atypical for a race. Like I could accept, you know, like a let's like a, a dwarven a dwarven sorcerer, for instance, right? Like it's very hard to make a dwarven sorcerer and not feel gimped by by that restriction and and you know i i can i believe that you could do say like one where there wasn't a, you know not not full optimization right like you don't necessarily need a race that has a bonus to charisma but a race that has a penalty to charisma you you really can't play like any any charisma based caster out of that and that that always kind of and to the point where for like um what was it? The orc witch doctor archetype. They 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 um they made an archetype that in the first place used to cast out of constitution. But they nerfed that to to essentially, for all intents and purposes, it counts as two points higher to, to counteract that point. Like this is obviously a thing that 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 Paizo recognizes as as being a thing. Yeah, and I think and that's like that's a huge problem to a certain extent, and I think a lot of it is inherited from three five. I agree. Um, because I think three five, uh, you know, I think three five is a pretty good system overall and everything. But there are a lot of pieces of it that are kind of like weirdly slapdash. And I think these, uh, you know, these races and these kind of racial conditions are uh, similarly a little bit weird and a little bit slapdash. And unfortunately, like the other half of it is, um, I feel like there are some traits, uh, like there are some racial traits that are really cool and really interesting, um, but some that are just kind of like. Man, who the hell cares, right? Um, and um, 
I don't know. I don't know how I feel that that kind of stuff uh, interacts with. Like, I, I feel like I want races to be more mechanically, uh, like, integrated into the game, right? I want somebody to pick a race um, and have that race be have, like, meaningful mechanics for them to be, you know, working with or thinking about or working through. But at the same time, I also don't want someone to pick a race for its mechanics, right? Like, you know, I don't want somebody to be like, well, I could play this, you know, in my head, this is a human sorcerer, but Elf just makes more sense, right? Um, so it, yeah. it, I, there's, like, a really weird middle ground to be found there uh, that honestly, I think is kind of awkward. Honestly, I think... Um, Kind of unfortunately, that uh, Pathfinder at at the moment does the the opposite of both of the things you want, right? Like they're not particularly mechanically interesting, but there are several choices that you have to make to get like an optimal thing out, right? Like, every, yeah, you know, every every wizard is either one of the races that gets an assignable plus two or uh, like an elf or, or something, where where you're you're choosing the race because it gives you a bonus to the stat that you require on, but you don't really care um, about, like, you know... I mean, like, there's there's some that are interesting, right? Like, uh, Keen Sen, even though you need a feat for it, it's pretty interesting. Um, I always liked the idea of, of uh, racial weapon familiarity. I thought that was pretty always pretty cool. Yeah, I really like racial weapon familiarity. I actually like a lot of... It, and it's funny because I actually like a lot of the alternate uh, race stuff that they provide in, I guess, the ult- ultimate race guide or something like that. You know, the one where you build your own races. Because we've done this, right? We've built a couple of uh, homebrew races. Anybody that, um, you know, paid attention and tuned in for our Hell's Rebels game... Um, Enoch is playing a Leonin, which is a race that I created about a year ago. Um, and I created, you know, I created the Leonin entirely within Pathfinder's rules for, you know, racial points and everything like that. Um, and I was really surprised to see things like swim speeds and burrow speeds uh, and climb speeds being actually relatively, like, low uh, racial point modifiers right but they're not on any of like the big main races you know it's not like i can play uh you know i don't know a gecko person who has a climb speed right it's not like i can play um a i don't know mermaid thing that has a swim speed right um i don't know man it's just so it's just so weird it's so strange i think part of that is a lot of the the very core races, the the big main races, were supposed are intentionally fairly generic, and something like you know a swim speed is something that you're paying for, and you know you know maybe there's an interesting story to be told about say like a frogman who has a swim speed journeying deep into the heartland or into like the desert to uh you know recover an artifact for his his home or something like I think that's a compelling story. But it's also a hard thing to justify from a player perspective because you're never going to use that swim speed. The opportunity cost of what that swim speed request is there. And if you're and a lot of the aquatic races have things like you need to submerge yourself in water every so often. Um, and that's just an extra an extra burden on the player t- to play, which is, you know, this is uh, this is kind of harkens back to our our, our our talk about like playing disabled characters um, in that like. It's it's very hard, I I think, for for a lot of people to make, um, not just an optimal choice, but like a, a a a intentionally, um, 
an, an intentionally hurting choice, like, you know, a, a choice like, uh, intentionally detrimental. Yes, choice. yes, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, I'm totally in there. Uh, I'm totally with you. I don't know. I, I, it's funny because at the same time, Pathfinder has so many races, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, and so many of them aren't, you know, but many, many, many of them are not PC races. Uh, and to a certain extent, I actually kind of think it's a problem. Um, uh, so something I've done in Hell's Rebels is legit just edit out certain races that just, like, are like, what the, why are these guys... I don't understand why these guys are scum. They should just be humans, right? Like, it just makes no sense. It adds nothing. It's just, like... It, it, it be what? Uh, uh, scum, they're kind of like the... Uh, they're kind of like frog people, but like... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oceanic frog people. Uh, I, by the way, I haven't actually made that change because the scum are actually relatively unique, but there are some other changes that I have made. I'm just trying to not spoil anything. Uh but, you know, th- that's the kind of point that I mean is, you know, I feel like some, some things are just, like, made another wacky race for no discernible reason. Um, I don't know. And the other thing is I also kind of feel like racial identities in Pathfinder aren't as solid as they could or would or should be. Um, for, fourth edition has a lot of these problems to a certain extent, right, in that um, it's very clear which races are good for which classes, Um and, you know, you just you just shouldn't play a uh, – well, so the, the good thing about 4th edition is there are no negative traits, right? But, you know, obviously um, a dwarf that gets plus constitution plus uh, wisdom um, is lending himself much more towards a cleric than he is towards a sorcerer, right? Um, who needs kind of neither of those those two. Uh, but what I really enjoyed about 4th edition is that those racial identities were really set in stone and you got it, right? You understood that, yeah, you know what? I'm playing a Dragonborn and this is what Dragonborn are like and here are some Dragonborn mechanics that interact with that stuff that I expect to see from them, right? Uh, the same thing with, you know, elves and... Uh, I thought, I, In fact, I thought a really smart thing that they did was split up elves and Eladrin so that you kind of had your, like haughty arcane side of elves on uh one side and then your you know wildy druidy kind of elves on the other um that's something that i i'm a big i'm a big proponent of yeah but um, yeah see I, mm-hmm. I feel probably a little like you know i'm I don't know. Maybe this is more 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 of my problem with kind of like the the standard fantasy setting kind of aspect that a lot of a lot of these places have. But like, I kind of prefer most of my races to be more like like what humans are always described as. You know, like oh, they're so varied and they're fake children and there's like a thousand billion different types of them and you can never describe a human universally type of thing. And I kind of like that idea, right? Like there are like you know there are some good orcs and there are some bad orcs. Not that like. They're all terrible people that live in this this hole. That sure. If you see oh, okay. One, yeah, I feel. You I can feel, shoot I them on sight. Yeah, I think a lot of this is also um, fourth edition didn't have civilization in the same way that Pathfinder did, so um, a lot of these things were kind of uh, you know like cultural shortcuts. You know, okay. like if you come up with you know if you come up on a band of dwarves, they're going to look like this kind of in you know act kind of sort of in this way uh but i think in pathfinder you have well so this is another problem i think in galarian specifically everywhere is humans except for the orc nation and you know the elf nation and there isn't even really a dwarf nation i guess the five kings mountains 
kind of. But then, like, hardcore everywhere else is human. Um, to the point that they added those, like, human sub-races, uh, you know, where... There is, like, Ulfin, who are the Nordic humans, and, you know, the Chelish humans, who kind of look uh, Mediterranean. I don't know, man. I, all of this stuff kind of, like, bugs me in such, a, in such a weird way. I feel like I feel like there is something to be said for, you know, I kind of think... Uh, I'm trying to think of a good nation that would lend itself towards this. Varicia feels like an elven, or like a halfling nation to me. And I could see that, you know what I mean? Like, I could see that be an elven or, 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 or a halfling uh, nation. It, but it's it's a human one, by default. And those other races are, you know, like, kind of fundamentally rare. Um, and that's just, man, I don't know. That just rubs me the wrong way. It feels like a big missed opportunity, I think. Yeah, no, I... I I've, mm. I get that. I, I do. Um, again, I, I think I'd go the other way. Where it's like, I think, I think, I, I agree with you that there, there's, there's too much of an obsession. I think in general in fantasy with, with like humans being the special ones, um, because otherwise they're too plain. I guess there's not enough draw to play them or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think the plainness of them is kind of a problem. I thought this is kind of another thing that I liked about 4th edition is that they did kind of stake out humans uh, as a as their own thing. Um, because whereas you had the, you know, you because in 4th edition you had this ancient empire of dragonborn or whatever that had crumbled and fallen and now there's you know, not they're they're clearly in decline. Humans are the new guys on the street, but their empire, like hardcore, just fell, kind of thing. And I think that that is a that's an interesting interaction. You know, it kind of put it kind of put humans as like the new kid on the block, kind of like you know, in a Mass Effect sense, right? You know, um, where it's not just they came out and they dominated everything forever. It's they were uh, they were a part of the they were a part of the world, and then they cre- they beat down the dragonborn created their own people kind of thing um which you know which i guess i kind of like a lot i do get to what you're seeing like i feel like you know certain nations like ustalav shouldn't necessarily be a race nation right um actually so i was actually gonna comment that the one of the things i i kind of wish was more there is that like the like the 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 human ethnicities don't really have a lot of mechanical application to them like you were saying right like there's like i think there's some interesting ground to go there i I think maybe for uh i don't know probably for for like political reasons you you don't kind of you know you don't you don't say that the oh i don't even remember what the name is garund garundi are those the uh yeah, wow, we're getting into some awkward territory. Yeah, no, I, you, know, like, <laughs> you, you you don't say that like the fantasy Asian race gets a plus two to wisdom or something, like <laughs> or they're getting better at math. Yeah, all of those like <laughs> racial stereotypes, right? Because you know, could you imagine though? Could oh, you imagine man. if the Tian Shan, like you know the plus a natural plus two on appraise checks? It's yeah. just like oh, oh god. god, I just. But, you know, it's funny because that stuff is so commonplace with these fantasy races, right? You know, like Right, but it, it, it's funny <laughs> when, it's, when it's an elf or a dwarf because they're not, you know... They're not real. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, is, uh, that is true. Uh, that is certainly true. I, I mean, hey, man, to get, like... There, there's even more racial politics at play because humans are, like, default 
white. <laughs> you know, like yeah, I guess Grundy exists or whatever, but they are they are uh if I were to just say, "Oh, you know, he's a, he's a human wizard." Yeah, you'd be you'd be thinking of a white guy in your brain. That's Yeah, I, no, it's especially for where most of the adventures take place. Yeah, I guess that's just, you know, that's not really that's not a racism thing. It's just like it's kind of on the line from like a racially kind of uh, political yeah. perspective. Um, also, not to dig too f- too far into it, but like if you told me you were playing a human wizard, I would think that that wizard is white. But if like you know, <laughs> I, I I don't know. I, I always assume that the pl- that the player and the character of the same gender and, and ethnicity, uh, so long as they don't specify otherwise. Yeah, uh, you I know, think that's you know, just a default easy shortcut for. In for fact. People. So it's kind of funny that this came up because I'm kind of like in a weird way beating around my own bush about it. Something that occurred to me uh, in the context of Hell's Rebels is uh, – uh, so, you know, kind of going back to that. That whole speech with Barcelona Thrun is really important to me. And I made and I made some changes like the protest um, where the protest doesn't turn into the riot. Um I didn't. I didn't like that interaction because it specifically. Uh, for, it, it does a couple of things, and I can come back and address some of them. But the the, the important one for the for this thing about races is, um, it gives you guys a cover. Uh, it gives more of a cover to avoid the ire of Barzillai Thrun. Uh, one of the big problems with the Hell's Rebels adventure path, kind of like from a narrative perspective. Uh, and I don't mind spoiling this because I'm not using it because it's fucking stupid, is Barzillai Thrun knows who you are from from the get-go. He knows. He knows that you're rebelled, and he knows that you're, like, plotting against him, but he does nothing because, as as the books say, quote-unquote, he doesn't want to lend legitimacy to uh, the to you guys or whatever. And I hate that. I think that's so fucking stupid. Uh, no... It's it's like defanging, you know. It's like defanging this villain who's obviously supposed to be hunting you guys down and tracking you down, and it removes kind of that. Uh, it removes kind of that, like that animosity of, well, you know, how secretive do we want to be? Do we want to make a big splash? Do we want to keep things under the radar, kind of thing? Um, but so one of the things I was thinking about was I was like, uh, okay, so you know, Bars of Light the Room doesn't know who these people are, and. It takes, uh, you know, like part of the tension is, is he going to figure it out, right? Is he going to be able to figure out that you guys are the leaders of this rebel group um, and successfully assassinate, you know, like and come after you? Or are you going to be able to like keep it secret? But then I was just kind of like thinking about like the mechanics of this prison break. And I was like, well, you know, let's think about it, right? A Leonin, an elf, a half-orc, and two humans break out of prison together right and then you know like every and then wandering around kintargo is this group of a, a lanin an elf a half orc and two huge you know what i mean like it is just i was just like oh god this is such a problem in my brain like because which is, which is probably why the they they even though I will agree with you, that seems like a, a bad justification. It's probably why they wrote the justification in the first place type of deal. Yeah, right? I definitely. Uh, yeah, yep. I'm definitely with you uh, on that on that perspective. I mean, the, the the part that I've come down to is because so because the protest just dissipates, right? Barzlay through comes out. The, the other thing is Barzlay through speech as written was garbage. Like 
It was straight. It was it was garbage. He was like he was just a huge condescending douchebag, and then he writes an eighth proclamation that has nothing to do with anything, and it's supposed to incite the you know it's supposed to incite the right. It's supposed to show you that he's willing to um you know that he's willing to just kind of make these decisions on the fly, um and that he's kind of like petty and everything like that. But I was like. Why on earth the specific proclamation bans ship captains from setting foot in Kintargo? They have to stay on their ship unless they're native Kintargans. And I was like, what does that have to do with anything, right? Like, why wouldn't he just stop their ability to, you know, assemble? Why wouldn't he just outlaw all protests forever? Uh, Which is obviously why I made that change. Um, but yeah, so the you know by by uh, making the protest not the not turn into a riot, uh, it actually gives an impression that it's work that it's fine that it's working that no you know like no nobody is fighting against him no and so he doesn't necessarily know to look for you in the same way that you know oh this giant riot broke out on my front fucking lawn well I guess it's time to. Go to every, you know, every radical coffee house in the town and just murder everybody in there. You know what I mean? Like, he's not looking for you because he doesn't think that there's a problem. Yeah. Well, I, I feel that. I'm, I'm going to let you know, though, that when, he's, when he was like, um, uh, the, when he was like, you know, this, this law, t- this proclamation takes effect in, what, 15 minutes is what you said? Yeah. I was very strongly considering having a... Uh, uh, sh- the personality of Schmitty, yo. Well, it sounds like we got 14 minutes to riot, boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the, so the other half of that is that uh, it's meant. Uh, the, so the other part that bugged me about it was if the riot just starts out of nowhere. Um, it's kind of like why do you need the Silver Ravens? You know what I mean? Like why why are these why do you need these heroes to come and start this re- re- like rebel group if right. they're just willing to go if they're willing to just throw down from the fucking get go? Um, and so I think that you know like saying hey these are what the people of Kintargo are like they're scared they're confused they're not you know they're not brave and they're not going to go, you know they're not going to do it themselves you need to be the leaders for them to follow I think that's really compelling. Um, which is these? These are all. I get, now we've come into the. Conf- why did a, the director's cut? Why did I make all of these changes? Well, those are the reasons. Um, but yeah, so I was just thinking about like from the racial perspective of like, of course anybody would be able to put together. You know, like anybody would be able to put together um, that you guys are the ones uh, that you guys are the ones from the prison. Though, um, Wait, who, who uh, knows? Who knows that we all escaped though. Nobody. I'm. I, no. I, this is why. Uh, this is why. You know, we burned the files. Oh, okay, okay. Okay. This is why that they are just uh, random mercenaries instead of being actual Dotari guards. Um, because it, it. 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 These are all steps that I have consciously implemented to obfuscate the connection between uh, between you guys um, and everything like that. Um, Do us essentially be anonymous. Uh, kickstarters of the revolution essentially. right and and honestly it's also it's also a big gameplay thing because so there's there's a rebellion statistic called notoriety um and as written when you get to a certain amount of notoriety it just kind of off screen punishes you for it and so i've just done away with that system um you know like you guys need to watch your notoriety or like shit goes down you know like 
That it, it or the Advent a, soldiers will start murdering civilians. Yeah, no, well, yeah, but like that's like a real concern. No, I, like, I mean that, that, that makes sense. Figure right? out like where a you guys. Mechanic. Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly what it is, right? You know that they figure out where our safe house is. That they attack one of your prominent supporters. Um, those things are things that you're going to need to manage. And in the same way that in XCOM, right, you kind of have to, like, sometimes you need to pick your battles, right? Like sometimes you're going to say, you know what, it w- the right thing to do is to bust into this prison and save this person, right, who, who got arrested for, for no good reason. But that is just way too high profile for us. We're going to have to let them, you know, we're going to have to let them sit it out, right? We're going to have to let this guy get strung up in, in the square and maybe he's going to get executed. But, I, you know, what are we going to do? Bust out in the middle of, like, in the middle of the public square, in the middle of an execution? I just We just can't afford that because it, it'll doom everything. Huh. I think that tension is really important. No, so. no, it, it does. Um, and I'm, I'm, I am eager to see you, how you handle that, because part of, part of the, 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 I guess, kind of the base assumption with a lot of D&D is you can always do the thing, right? Like, if you, if you put, like, the execution of an innocent in the square, like... Most players will be like, well, obviously we're supposed to interrupt it. Yeah, we- no, yep. This is exactly the kind of thing that I wanted to, uh, that's, that principle is something I want to mess with a little bit. Um, because I don't, you know, I, you guys are gonna have to make some hard choices and that's like, that's part of the point. Um, uh, interesting. I'm, 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 I'm excited, but we've, we've gotten a little bit off topic. <laughs> yeah, we did get a little off topic. Um, um, braces pathfinder (laughs) um it's funny because i actually think that there are other rpgs that do it better um something that i liked a lot about the star wars rpg is they have species but the species are very mechanically light um they have they in in a typical three five way you know they have pluses they have minuses um but you know they'll just it seems like there's less uh power in the kind of superfluous stuff Rodians, uh, who are the, um, what's, uh, Greedo? Greedo yeah. is a Rodian. Rodians are natural that like their, their society is very, very hunter based. Um, and a lot of, and a lot of people are hunters. So they just get track at level one, you know, they get, they get track. They have plus two decks, plus two, whatever. Right. And that's their, that's their race. But it was really nice because when we were playing it, um, it allowed all of us to, be just like you know what I mean. It's like, oh, I've never seen Ithorians look cool. I'm gonna play a fucking Ithorian, like uh, that kind of thing. And because Star Wars is Star Wars, and you know, you walk into the cantina and there's just a million guys of a million different races there. Uh, it was always kind of fine. It was never a weird thing to say like, oh, what is this Leonin doing in Kintargo? Right? right. That kind of question never comes up because it's the star wars universe where everything is real really really integrated um man i don't know see part of me thinks that that's the best way to do it but part of me also just kind of likes to a certain extent um i also i also think there's like other things you like i i feel like you can go all the way in the other way where like races give you some set of mechanical benefits but none of them are none of them are like make your spell casting better, right? It's, it's, it's things like, it's, it's things that will give you the flavor of the race without directly kind of making it an optimal choice, right? Like something like, uh, 
I think something like racial spells works well for this kind of flavor. If you can build up, like, I don't think there are enough of them and there's not enough assigned for the individual races for it to work as, as well as I would like it to in Pathfinder. But the kind of idea that like, you know, well, the goblins are very, you know, fire-based tribes. They've got greater access to, uh, to fire magic. And, you know, you know, maybe if you want to, that'll influence your decision. If you want to play some sort of, Firecaster or whatever, which which I recognize is kind of like a very core that's kind enemy, of interesting but... because I actually something else I hate about races is like per day uses of stuff. Uh, I like it in the context. I actually think 4E is very good at it because they're very. First of all, that game is all about per use of stuff, so it feels much more natural. Um, and uh, second of all, they were they were very like kinds of uh, hands offish things, like elven accuracy, where you you reroll a missed attack roll once per encounter. Um, that that doesn't like announce itself in the same way that like I'm a a tiefling and I can just cast this spell, but I can only do it. once. you know what I mean? Like that just feels yeah. weird, but like elven accuracy, you know, like to, to in, in the, in the mind's eye of a flow of battle. I don't actually really see that cat, that, that happen. Uh, I don't really see that go off, um, in the same way. Uh, yeah. And I, I think that's actually kind of along the lines of what I'm talking about. These like kind of, yeah, make okay, it, like, I feel that. Um, and and I, I I think kind of kind of from like a, an even larger perspective I think that's um, I, I think we're associating this with race because this is where a lot of these things ride but I think um, exaday powers are actually like I I think a naturally better feeling system is X per encounter rather than X a day because um, there's always I think this kind of like uh, this kind of desire to kind of like hold on to things until you know you're going to need it, which is kind of a hard thing to, to judge. Yeah. Um, it, that, that stuff, that stuff really bugs me. Uh, it also really bugs me because I can't help but be narcissistic about it. It also really bugs me in the context of health triples because most of the missions that you do are very small scale, um, but they're per day, right? So it feels weird kind of making these encounters and, uh, and like, and everything, but it's like, you know, you this isn't a game about this isn't a game about dungeons but pathfinder feels balanced around dungeons right. and so uh i i kind of fear a point where we get to um you know you walk into you walk into the warehouse that you're supposed to raid for supplies and the arcanist blows all of his level 5 he blows three level 5 spells in a row and it's all it's all over you know what i mean like that kind of thing that kind of thing is kind of uh is frightening almost from a balance perspective um and i think per encounter is the uh, yeah i'm with you i like per, i like per encounter way better yeah, and it also, like, uh, from, from you know, the other side of that looking less, which is, you know, players conserving resources, players feeling good about using their resources, right? Like, it's, if you, you know, every player has had that moment where it's like, well, I could use my lightning bolt here, but it's the only one I have, and what if we run into a boss later or yeah, something like I that? Yeah, I know, I totally know that feeling. And, um, and I, you know, that that can be, like... I guess like an an interesting thing to play with in some ways, but I feel like I feel like the like you know uh, you know as much as fourth E gets crap and um, I, I think it did some of that stuff well. It's like well yeah like you could do like one or two of those things that have like this this 
a daily cycle on it because you know that that lets you have something that's like much bigger that feels impactful but if you have most of the power concentrated in, in per encounter things then you can the players can spend their resources and not not feel too bad about it yeah, I really like that about 4th edition. Um, I also really like in 4th edition that there were rituals, um, which were kind of spells and stuff that you cast um, outside of like a per day context. Uh, something that bugs me a lot about Pathfinder in, in that way is that like there's not a big place for, you know, like a level, whatever, 12 wizard can cast Teleport. Right, but if but twenty level one wizards working together can't, and that kind of bugs me in a weird way. You know what I mean? Like I feel like I feel like that should be a thing, right? Like I feel like you know maybe well, you they have kind of, they kind of introduced those things in a in the psionics handbook, right? Uh, or occult adventures, you mean the, rather. Yeah, yeah, in occult, yeah, those are those are the occult rituals, and, and I do like those a lot, and I have wholeheartedly adopted those um, into. Uh, into kind of like my lexicon of rules uh, in order to like describe this stuff. Uh, but yeah, like that, that just, you know, that really, that really bugs me uh, in a certain, in a certain sense. And I don't know. I like that. I, I, I like that yeah. a lot in a weird way. I feel like this kind of stuff is going to be the death of Pathfinder um, is like, because this is such a, sh- like, it's such a huge foundation of the whole system, Right. But it's inherited from three five, and it's not really as like as well thought out as yeah. it could be necessarily. Yeah, um, um, I, I think that'll probably be a thing that gets, or rather, I would hope that that's a thing that that gets changed when whenever you know Pathfinder two happens, because that's got to happen at some point, right? They can't yeah. just keep stacking rules on top of rules forever. Tell um, me about it. Um, but um. Yeah, it's kind and, of... and and so and to bring this back a, to a second, and I I think those kinds of daily like those kinds of daily those kinds of encounter things for uh, for races is is a pretty okay way to go about it. I think I think it's an excellent way to go about it, right? Like you can you can get a lot of flavor and a lot of utility into those things that don't necessarily feel like well this one is better. It's you know there will always be some I'm hesitating because there will always be some nerd out there that's going to be like. Well, statistically, re-rolling your attacks always going to be better than you know adding a fire damage or something, right? Like, um, but they are not such big things that a person more interested in playing a compelling story would feel a detriment from taking a different one. I, I mean, I just think it's kind of comparable to the the regular kind of passive bonuses or whatever, like passive effects sure. that we typically see. Uh, orc ferocity. Does does the same job as I don't I trancing for an elf right um, sure and from from like that flavor perspective um, and, and and you know I also kind of think that see the other thing is like this is a kind of a weird thing about passive bonuses I feel like passives are a little bit crazy in in this like the context of they apply you know like. They, they they because they apply all the time on certain stuff their power budget has to be tiny compared to like per per day power budget right. stuff i you know i created a campaign trait for charles uh, i created this campaign trait for charles because he's from you know a magical academy where he studied magic and so the campaign trait is once per day when he uses spellcraft to 
correctly identify a spell cast on him, he can elect to choose plus two uh, on any saves related to that spell, right? Um, That is a powerful effect. That's a big effect, right? But it's got a lot of barriers because you can only use it once per day. You have to succeed on the skill check kind of thing. Uh, it has to be applicable in this certain way, right? If the spell doesn't, doesn't require or demand a save, uh, you know, you could be SOL. Um, and I think, see, in a way, I think that campaign trait is better than you get plus one on stealth checks and stealth checks and stealth is always a class skill for you um, because it's more impactful than that. But it's also worse than that because like there's so much down, there's so much kind of downtime on it. Yeah. So I, this is actually something that they kind of move into the, the traits space for a moment. It's always bothered me about traits. It's like um, because the skills being the way they are, right? Like if you want a skill that's not typical for, your class um the best way the best way to get that into you know get that extra that speed plus three is with a trait but it kind of makes it forces you to make decisions like do you want um a a very mechanically useful trait or do you want a cool trait um where a cool trait is you know like what one of the ones that's like you know oh you can uh you can if you're a blacksmith you can use your tools as weapons without without penalty i think that's that's a really cool trait um but if I was, yeah, this is actually a super cool trait. <laughs> but uh, if if I was playing, say, uh, you know, like if I, if I was playing uh, a a barbarian that wanted um, profession, I'd take the profession trait because that's you know the 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 even from a role play perspective, that's that's usually the better choice. Um, you know, because I'm usually taking the the uh the, the skill trait to to augment something that that is that is weird um and something that makes the character a little bit more unique um that's totally true i mean i took a stealth trait on uh on kenzo because i wanted kenzo to be stealthy but samurai doesn't have stealth in 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 class um yeah that's yeah. totally yeah. applicable I, I i suppose well they kind of bring it back to races something something that i've thought about for a while um you know kind of in like and kind of like my, what I would design if I were making just the, like, you know, with, with no concern for, for complication, something that I'd like to do is something like a differentiation between, like, like a hard differentiation between uh, what are social traits and what are, what are like inherent traits, right? Like, um, with the example being something like, um, an elf gets weapon familiarity because he was raised in an environment where he would have been taught those things. That's like a social thing, like a, a society-based trait. Mm-hmm. Whereas something like the stat adjustments are supposed to be something that's inherent to the DNA of... Uh, of, of uh, Right, like elves getting pluses on perception is because their ears are just finer-tuned than human ears. Yes, right? like, exactly. I feel that. I actually I think that would be pretty sweet. Uh, I, I could see a big divide along those lines that allows for more interesting uh that allows for kind of more interesting stuff yeah um something that we did uh something that we did when we were designing for uh ricerin which is kind of like our homebrew campaign setting that we've been like off and on playing with for forever um is we had different kind of like uh sub races you know so i had the so i had the leonin right you know there are these lion people but there were savannah leonin 
who were the plain striding, um, you know, golden haired one. Highlands Leonin, who lived in the mountains and had black manes. And then outsiders uh, who lived outside of like the, the kind of ubiquitous Leonin hierarchy, empire, nation state. Um, and they all had different, you know, and they all had different kind of traits for those those reasons. And I think that was a pretty interesting, uh, straightforward way to break up the, you know, so you could choose uh, one way or the other. Uh, we also did that with the Yukari, which were kind of the the, the lizard folk, crocodile people. Um, there were the there were the Yukari that lived on the islands who had a swim speed, the Yukari that lived in the jungles who had a climb speed, and the Yukari that lived in the desert who had a burrow speed. Uh, and I thought that you know, like that stuff is so. I don't know. I really like that. I thought that was uh, yeah. I thought that was a neat interaction. And, and, and with, the, with the society stuff, the reason the reason I think were something that I thought would would be in, like you know in in my in my uh, in in infatigable search for for greater complexity, um, <laughs> um, something like you know what what if you had say uh, a dwarf that was raised by elves for some reason, right? Like it makes sense for the dwarf to have like you know, uh, you know like have a higher constitution, but he probably learned how to use a long sword and uh, and and uh, and a bow. Um, in that situation, type, you know, type of deal. Um, and I, I, there's the obvious pitfalls of there. It's like, well, then everybody wants to be like the X from Y with, with, with L parentage. But I, I think that's, that's an okay trade-off. Um, yeah, it's all, it's always tough to balance around this kind of stuff from like a min-max perspective. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that is true. That is true. Something, something that I had some trouble with, um, kind of like designing in, in that in that space was uh for the rebellion you guys get to you guys are hiring teams right so you recruit a bunch of people that are good at this thing and teams range from anywhere from kind of uh you know like sneaky spies to merchants uh you can have merchants on your payroll uh to kind of demagogue preachery people right um and in rp those teams are going to be represented by team leaders right People, individuals, NPCs with names and personalities and everything. And I was sitting there and I was like, uh, this kind of specifically came up because I was, I didn't, I, you know, I was giving them all chaotic neutral as alignment. I was like, fuck this, this is fucking stupid. So I really like went crazy with, with alignments and I was like, oh, well this guy, this guy is, you know, he's kind of a dick. So he's neutral evil, right? You know, like, oh, this guy is, you know you know this guy is a really nice guy so he's so he's lawful good right and i and i kind of wanted that stuff to play into it but then i was like well they're never going to take an evil they're never going to take an evil guy right they're never going to take the guy that's evil over the guy that's lawful good because they, they just wouldn't be able to trust the chaotic evil guy over the lawful good guy and i was like well how can i balance that out and i was like well maybe i'll give them traits maybe i'll give them like actual like little mechanical bonuses on like oh this guy's really good at interceptor missions or whatever uh and then you know you can give the slightly better traits to the evil guys so that there's a little bit of a trade-off there and then i just kind of like i realized that i had like brainstormed myself into this really weird place that i wanted i wanted you guys to choose npcs for this based on their personalities but i was just designing them so that you play you choose them based on their mechanics and i was like well you know we can just I, I'm just gonna have to trust that you guys are gonna be okay about you, it. You know, not... you know what the easiest way to kind of do that is. So, 
is you don't tell us what their alignments are. I know. I know that is. And but the thing is, I, I, I also, I really like that idea. I really like the idea of you guys having like arguments a little bit. Um, and this is something that I've like engendered basically in the entire game is where like, you know, I, because I, I want you to, like, you know, fight about stuff. And I want somebody to say, you know what? We need to take Bliggity Blorp, the lawful good paladin, because Smagoobity, the chaotic evil rogue, is just, you know, he's going to betray us. I don't trust that guy. You know, and I think having that argument is is good and is interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I know you're right. I know you're right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think... I think the the problem you might eventually run into is that like you somebody's gonna say we need to use bluegity blorp instead of smiggity um, because he's lawful good. Everybody's gonna be like, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> exactly what I fear. Maybe maybe the best way to do this would be to just write out the uh, uh, write out the the alignment until you hire them. I like the idea that like you bring them on and then you find out, oof, this guy's chaotic evil. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. Uh, but the, but honestly, how that works for you guys is also kind of up to you. Because it, it, it's one of those things that could be like five seconds where it's like, here are your three choices. I bring up these little, you know, the little blurbs. You read a little bit about their backstory and are like, I choose, I choose you. Or it can be something as intensive as like, let's sit these guys down and have a job interview. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'd be down for that, I guess. Uh, I don't necessarily expect that to happen, but... Uh, designing, designing games is hard. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I had a follow-up, but, uh, I didn't actually have a follow-up. There was, there was something in my head and I was like, wait, what am I talking about? I feel like, see, really what I was going to say is I feel like other games do this, uh, I feel like because we're looking at it from, like, hardcore game design, hardcore, like, game theory almost places, it's not, it's almost, like, not useful. Because, you know, there's one thing where, like, you're, you're assuming a rational actor, right? But then there's another thing when you're, like, assuming that the rational actor is going to make detrimental, or is going to make certain choices um, just kind of because of the of these, like, mechanics rather than going forward with it because of, you know, RP stuff, right? I actually kind of feel like, you know, even though we're complaining about it a lot, and I think that we're right in the sense of the, 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 like the game design theory says that it works this way. I actually think that in general people respond to it and they just, you know, if I want to play a dwarf, I play a fucking dwarf. You know, if I want to play a half work, I play a half work and I don't worry about it. The the reason I thought about this was because of Skyrim. Um, because you know, you choose your race in Skyrim and they all have these different mechanics, but I didn't min max my Skyrim race. I just played an Imperial and then I played a Nord because I wanted to. Um I don't know. I think, I, I think there is like a limit to how how far you will push that though, right? Like I I do think that like, like I like one there's a certain type of player and two there's you know, I I think a person will play a dwarf if they want to play a dwarf, but I don't think anybody plays a dwarf sorcerer, right? Like I bring this up because this is something I've I've kind of like this is always kind of my my thing to think about is like if I wanted to run a dwarf sorcerer, 
like the only way to do that is to get like the the wisdom bloodline, which is like not boring. Um, and then Varyman Maxi. Um, the see the kind of counterpoint to that is I think of it as being a. I honestly kind of think that it's uh. Like it's almost an edge case, because I think you could. I I think you very much could play a dwarf wizard, right? Sure. And you know like. Yeah, there's there's a flavor difference between the two, right? But yeah, I mean, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world that elves don't make the best tanks, and so, you know, if you're gonna play an elf fighter, you probably wanna you wanna focus in on two handed two weapon fighting, or um, you wanna focus. I mean, you can even like even even a, a, an elf fighter could um, play, you know, like a hardcore tank and spank. Uh, build they would just have to kind of compensate more for it by you know pumping their decks and trying to be a dodge tank or something you know you know what i mean like kind of something along those lines yeah i don't know so so the the difference here for me is that like a dwarf wizard is not optimal but doable i don't think a dwarf sorcerer is even like nearly doable in that that sort of sense but i kind of feel like that might be the only one or you, you you don't think there are there are other examples of this? Well, I kind I almost kind of feel like it's it that it only works that way for dwarf sorcerer because spellcasting is so intrinsically tied to the charisma stat for for a sorcerer. Yeah, well, uh, uh, no, any, any like spellcast most... any spellcasting class can't be played by a class with a penalty in that in that uh in, in that in that category. Are there other are there other classes that have penalties in uh, of the core? I, I yeah I, I, I guess that's really what I'm thinking. I don't. Well, think you couldn't you couldn't before. play an, an an elf kineticist. I guess that's fair. That's kind of related. Um, um that, that that kind of thing, right? Or you know, you can't play an orc. Most spellcasters, uh, you can't play. Um, I don't know. You're, you're right, though. In, in core, there's not a lot of mental minuses, as it were. Um, and so it's, it's and, and it is one of those things where even though there's a minus two strength on a halfling, you can still play effective paladin fighter, sure blood rager builds that don't rely on it. I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's like part of me thinks you in the because as soon as I thought about that Skyrim thing, uh, it made me feel like I was overthinking it. It made me feel like we were we were kind of overthinking. I mean, but it. I think so. Part of what, what what makes Skyrim different, so you know, part of this is is, is this is this problem that um, was, was very visible in Mark's old Runelords game, which is that if you have players at different power, at vastly different power levels. It, it doesn't work, right? Like, for every, for every you know, you that's willing to, you know, play a dwarf sorcerer regardless of the fact that it, it's going to hurt a little bit, there's, there's uh, if you're playing with, with, uh, with a Nick who, you know, is going to optimize everything out the S, you're not going to have as fun a time in that game because you've got somebody who's always, you know, winning, um, you know, who, who's, who's, who's solo, because you can't, you can't tune the encounters to that party because then the the power gamer ends up winning the encounter all the time, and you can't tune, um, and you can't tune it to the power gamer because then the rest of the party just feels ineffective. It's it's it's, it's a weird problem. 
Yeah, that's definitely true. Though I wonder how much of that power budget, you know, because we're assuming there's a big differential between the power gamer and the, the other people, right? Um, how much of that budget is a racial thing versus how well, much of that budget is classes? Um, so I think I think straight up, actually, if, if I'm going to, you know, if you get rid of the ability bonuses, like straight up, it's, it's all gone, I think. Like, honestly, uh, this just occurred to me, but I think it'd be really interesting to play... Like, I, I can hear the sirens in the background. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've been trying. I've been hoping that, you know, maybe if I stay silent, we can just edit it out. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry about it. This well, is, you know, yeah, this is what happens when you live where I live, I suppose. Yeah, but uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fine. Um, but, like, I feel like it'd be really interesting to, say, play a game of Pathfinder where the races are all the same except... No one gets any ability, but modifiers or, or something. I, well, so way. I actually think you could do it where you do it like the human way, where like everybody gets a plus two. Sure, I think that would be super doable. Um, wow, I actually kind of think that would be kind of so perfect. Jeez. Well, we solved it. We can yeah, go yeah, yeah. <laughs> no more worries about races. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things. Yeah, I, I do kind of, uh, I do kind of agree with you. At the same time, to be honest, um, something that I did sort of. Sp- in uh, the the in the Ricerin stuff when I because I did three in that I did Gossamites who were uh, basically like sentient elementals who had to wrap themselves in these crazy they're just like elemental energy that's constantly siphoning out siphoning out to another plane so they had to wrap themselves in these special bandages so they walk around kind of like the ethereals from world of War, world of warcraft they're almost like mummies to be honest um you know you have the gossamites you have the uh the leonin and you have the yukari and they were all built for you know like the leonin are better cavaliers than humans right like they're built for that to a certain extent because they have these uh these special they have these special interactions with charging and stuff like that uh but i also like the the interaction was so small that i don't think anybody would have been penalized if they were playing a leonin cleric right like the just because the they had that one racial trait that says on a charge you get effectively plus 10 movement speed uh, it's re- you know it's not the end of the day. It's not like that's a bad thing, and I think that's a little bit more in line with this kind of Skyrim thing that I was thinking about, right? Where it's just like, you know, yeah. Well, when everything's mechanics- a bonus, it's 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 much easier to forgive. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, I think that's certainly the way the way. Yeah. Yep. That's how I feel about it. I also think that it's nice because it also allows you to kind of create like broad strokes racial identities, right? Uh, I think it makes sense for elves to have primarily, you know what I mean? Like the idea that the that uh elves racially like the elf nation uh its army is primarily guerrilla ranger bow troops right uh makes a lot of sense because they get pluses you know they get a plus to decks and they have this weapon familiarity or whatever whereas landon who are better at charging or whatever are more 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 suited to kind of shock troops and you can kind of you can you can make you can kind of flavor the cultural, the culture of these guys a bit around that, uh, which I think is effective. I think that's that's good in general. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, man, I really do wish I had done that. Now, I think that would have been so great. That's <laughs> um, such a great fix to like all of these problems in my head. Well, there's always next time, right? Yeah, I guess so. I feel you know I you know I feel like home 
home rules, uh, like homebrew stuff. Um, it's almost it's almost like necessary to a certain extent because I think it's important for you know like. I think it's important for GMs to GM what they're most comfortable doing and that, uh, and, you know, embracing some house rules, uh, foregoing others, uh, is a good way to, uh, you know, it's a good way to do that, I guess. Yeah. Obviously, yeah. I guess a lack of house rules is also, uh, its own style almost. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, Pathfinder Society and the like, where you you, you follow the rules because that's that's how you ensure kind of a consistent play for it. That's that's I think ultimately a lot of the the problem is like, um, maybe not a lot of the problem, but part of the problem is that D and D is is a very you know with your friends type of activity. But there's a lot of effort by the by the companies that produce them produce these types of games to make them in some way a little bit more universal. Um, and because of that you want a set of rules that applies consistently across everything for, for those types of situations. Man, that is a really interesting point. That is a really interesting point. How do I feel about that? See, because I, I definitely agree to a certain extent. Man, yeah. I think I think at the end of the day, it's tough because, uh, you know, you're, you're handing your... Because it almost feels like those are two different games at that point, right? Like, Pathfinder Society is basically a different version of pathfinder uh than the pathfinder that we all that, yeah. that you play when you play in a campaign with people uh and i don't think that that's a you know that's not a minor thing that's like that's like real yeah um, no it's it's yeah maybe uh yeah i don't know maybe it's i see part of me thinks that the part of me thinks that the game's don't, it, it's not a big deal that they're not one to one, but uh, but part of me thinks that they kind of should be a little bit more one to one to a certain extent. I, I, I in a weird way, I almost kind of uh, I don't know enough about Pathfinder Society actually to really make a make any claim one way or the other. So that's a lie. I don't listen to me, folks at home. I'm a liar. <laughs> <laughs> that was not that was not a real that was not a real point I was making. It was stupid. Okay then. <laughs> um, <laughs> you're welcome to, to kind of bring it back a, a little bit I, I was actually just kind of thinking about this is like um back back to the point about like eliminating ability scores fixes a lot of the problems um i think it's definitely true for core but it it it, it, it you, need, you need to more finely adjust it outside of core races um just to kind of bring that up what, um, what do you mean like i think that there like some races get a bit some power allotted in like spell like abilities and other types of traits that gets paid for by larger penalties um in their like they, they get paid for in their ability scores like um like Can actually example uh like uh oh like what like the things or the little dragon things like kobolds kobolds oh 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 okay kobolds are actually terrible um uh, in term like the like if, I think if you build them out with uh, if you build them out with the race builder, they get like six race points. But they get like uh, uh, hold on one second. Let me let me, let me look it up. Real they quick. have five. Apparently on the yeah. SRD they have, yeah, they have five, five race. RPs. Yeah. But, oh boy. And they get but they get like uh minus oh, four Jesus. strength minus two cotton plus two dex. Um. Oh wow. Get natural armor. Yeah. Uh, and you 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 could you know. 
build some things around that. But like, I, I'm, I am sure that there is, there is another race out there that has, that, that pays for their, their power with, 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 with different ability score modifiers, or maybe not. And maybe I'm crazy. Um, because you know, if you get, if you get rid of that line, that minus three race point cost, um, and replace it with what is it? It's like called flexibility in the race builder. You probably have a ten point race and everything's fixed. So oh, maybe shit, I'm wrong. Have you ever seen drown nobles are forty one race points? I don't it's think because you... they have an at will spell like what at will spell like ability do they have? God damn. Probably, uh, probably like darkness or something. Yeah, that's probably true. Something like ridiculous like that. Um. But yeah. Oh wow! It's detect magic, actually. Wait, what? That th- that gets them sixteen fucking points. It's detect magic at will, and then uh, feather fall and levitate uh, as spellic abilities once per day. And That's... you have to take a racial feat for it. I think Paizo. Like... I think Paizo uh, values those too much. Like detect magic at will is something I'd give a player as like a trait. Like it's, really, it's. For any caster, I mean, it's a cantrip, so yeah. For any know, caster, it's kind of like whatever. Yeah, that, that, that is exactly my point, right? Like, there's nothing so special about being a caster that giving a giving a non-caster a cantrip at will for a trait is is, is a huge deal to me. Like rogues get a, rogues can use a rogue talent to get a level zero spell as an at will ability, so that's a feat. So maybe traits a little bit a little bit cheap, but I like there is no cantrip out there specifically cantrip out there that I would feel would, would break the game by giving it to a player at will. Um, you know, even for free, even like, yeah, I can't really think of any, to be honest. Um, geez. I don't know. Well, I guess we've kind of gotten to the end of that, uh, that whole idea. Um, (laughs) Uh, it, it's interesting cause I want to, you know, I do want to go back to like, um, Ricerin and I want to make more races. I like making races and I think they're cool and interesting and fun, uh, to kind of, uh, but I think they're a little bit more fun from almost a cultural perspective than they are from like a purely, uh, quote unquote biological perspective. Um, which is what, which is most of what gets statted up. I feel like, uh, because besides, you know, weapon familiarity kind of stuff, I feel like most most races are statted up. Um, I don't know. By by their biology. Yeah. 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 I don't. Know. Just just to kind of finish out the conversation uh, about well, with the kobolds. You know, which is was my point about uh, paying for things with 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 other points. If you get rid of the ability and replace it with human human heritage, which is zero RP, you get an eight RP race, which I think is, you know, that's that's not too weak to be to be reasonable. Yeah. Yep. I definitely. Um, I definitely agree. Well, I guess that's the end of it. Um. <laughs> I yeah. don't. I don't. I don't have any other points to make. Yeah, I don't uh, think so either. I think we've we've talked about it a bunch. Um, I but also it, feel good about. Uh, I I like. I like where we ended up. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, sometimes it takes a little bit less time 
<laughs> yeah. Sometimes but, it, you know yeah. it takes it takes uh, tangents into Hell's Rebels to get there. Absolutely, that happens. Uh, and, but, and XCOM. <laughs> yeah, but uh, if you at home think that we're wrong, um, which you know, who knows? You can email us at some games at gmail dot com. There'll be uh, or a comment on our Hell's Rebel stream or comment on this track. Who knows? Let us know. Please, anybody comment, please. Um, but yeah, um, we're doing uh, Hells or Rise of the Rune Lords on Mondays, Re- Hells Rebels Wednesdays. I've stopped trying to align it to the weeks because they always the episodes always come out after we you're, we know. Um, yeah, that that is yeah. actually super true. Um, <laughs> uh, the what is it? Um, uh, Shadowrun should start up at some point, and, uh... Are you gonna stream any XCOM? I told myself I was gonna stream X- XCOM, but I never got around to it. I don't think I'll stream XCOM. I might stream some Street Fighter at some point. Um, just because I like Street Fighter. Um, I might do that on the group channel, I might do it on my own channel. We'll, 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 we'll talk about that in the future. But, uh, uh, we will definitely be streaming some Dungeons and some Dragons. Yes, um, that is certainly true. So uh, I guess yeah, you know, pay uh, pay attention, look out for that. We're uh, we'll, we'll be out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, until, okay. Until next until time. Until next time, dear listeners. Bye. <laughs> the dirtiest outro.